It's Tuesday, October 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Jason, it's not Wednesday, but here we are. Hey, now. I'm okay with it. I'm very okay with it. Nice change of pace. I, still, nice to... uh, I, don't, I don't see my bacon anywhere, though. Which you is don't. Kind of... Is it still upstairs, or is it, it all gone? It's upstairs. Okay. There's some downstairs. After I'm making some it. more later. For the folks out there who don't know, every year uh, we have a health fair day here at Full HQ, where uh, some very nice vendors come in. You know, we get our biometrics and body fat scan, and we learn about some of the opportunities out there to be more healthy. Uh, I have decided to disrupt that every year <laughs> for the last three years by cooking a copious amount of bacon uh, in my home, leaving my apartment layer caked in a layer of bacon fat and reeking of bacon for the next two weeks. Uh, this year, I made a measly 24 pounds. The first year, I was up to 33, and I was also awake at 4.30 in the morning to so start cooking is, this. Is the entrance to your apartment, is it outdoors or is it indoors? Is it in a bigger building? It's out, it's garden style, thankfully. Okay. So, so, I had both doors open. I yeah, I had both doors. I had all the windows open. It's It doesn't help. I, I, I reek of bacon. All of my belongings reek of bacon. I can think of worse things. I mean, I have a couple of dogs. And there, every once in a while, you know, you want to get the house smelling better again. Mm-hmm. Some people will put in like a, 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 fl- a wallflower or something like that. And screw that. I just yeah. fry up a pan of bacon. It <laughs> well, just takes care of it. No one's happier than my dog well, today. <laughs> so, uh, and no one's happier uh, than the folks uh, over at Google who are going to be announcing some brand spanking new products. Uh, today, Google has an event over in San Francisco. Uh, lots of expectations for some new products. Google will be unveiling updates on old established products. Jason, just a quick overview. What should we expect from Google today? Sure. It sounds like they're going to be coming out with a couple of phone offerings, uh, some some work on the home front, the, the connected home front, and uh, perhaps some virtual reality uh, wear as well. And so, I, I think that with, with Google, the overarching question with Google is, we look back every year, and they make 90% of their money from advertising. Right. I mean, this has just always been an advertising company, like it or not. Uh, that's not been a bad thing. It's been a very good thing. Investors have won. Google has won. They make a ton of money doing it. Uh, but I also think it's fair to sort of look forward and, and ask the question: Should we expect that same kind of success here in the coming decade? Because this decade is shaping up to be more like the Facebook decade, really, than the past decade, which was kind of like the Google decade. It was definitely the Google and, decade. Uh, yeah. And so I think. For for Google at this point, I think anything they're trying to figure out any which way they can to diversify that revenue stream, or at least keep a strong a strong sort of hold on on that advertising market to a degree. They are going to be competing more and more with Facebook, Twitter, maybe to a lesser degree. They will talk more about Twitter and Google and acquisitions and stuff like that. But um, I, so for me. I look at the phone and I think, eh. I mean, the phone thing, we're getting to a point where I feel like there's so many choices in hardware out there. Right. It's almost becoming like craft beer, right. <laughs> where you just are overwhelmed by the selection and you really just want to go with kind of what you know, old, reliable, it's going to work. If, if you're a simpleton like me, then you probably have an iPhone and mm-hmm. you're probably always going to have an iPhone. The Budweiser of phones. <laughs> Basically. The, hey. the Bud Light of phones. America, to be quite right? Frank. I yeah. mean, um, I, but I think there's something to that, right? People become very established in their habits, their ways. I understand how to use the phone. There's no sort of learning curve for me. So I am likely never going to switch just out of sheer laziness. Right. Uh, so what Google is trying to do, I think, is is trying to figure out new ways to get more hardware in people's hands. Another thing they're going to be looking at doing 
this uh, connected home product. It's like the Amazon Echo competitor. I, I am I am skeptical on this, primarily because they are so late to the game in bringing something like this to the market. True. As an Amazon Echo user, as a person who has helped a little bit on the the uh, the beta side and in, in developing some some stuff for the Echo, and seeing all of the different ways you can use it, and seeing sort of how the the product has evolved over the past couple of years. It it is easy to say that you have this device. It's far more difficult to actually implement this device into your daily routine mm. and show everything they can do. And the, the beauty of what Amazon has is really a tremendous content library at this point, whether it's in music or whether it's in audio, podcasts, books. I mean, they they built out so many capabilities for this Echo at this point. There are a lot of neat things they can do. And I'm not saying Google can't do that, but how much share of the home they can gain is going to be the big question. And and I, I am a bit skeptical that it's going to be anything that would really move any kind of a needle for them. Uh, but I'm excited to see at least what they bring. Uh, so for me, really, the most intriguing part is the virtual reality, because I think mm-hmm. that's going to be the neatest technology we see in the coming 10 years. I think you have companies like Facebook, uh, companies like Google, I think Amazon, even to a, to an extent, are going to be working hard to to evolve and sort of bring new products to the market in regard to that. So that's that's what I'm most interested in. Uh, but but regardless, as a business, as an investment, I mean, Google is an ad play, and they're trying to figure out ways to stay relevant there and to diversify that revenue stream beyond it. Makes a lot of sense. And speaking of diversifying, Facebook uh, has announced earlier this week uh, a new product. It's called Marketplace. Now, that may sound very familiar to some of our listeners because Facebook actually tried this way back in 2007. Uh, It didn't go so great then. Basically, uh, Facebook has launched a marketplace on their, uh, it's part of their mobile app. It allows you to buy and sell things to people in your city. The idea being Facebook is trying to undercut the Craigslists and Ebays of the world. And we can talk about that angle in a moment. But let's focus on why Facebook would want to do this. What does Facebook get out of helping people buy and sell products? Well, uh, Facebook is much like Google in that they make all of their money basically from advertising. Um, so, this is the most obvious play in, in, that, um, in that space. I think the big difference between 2007. Were you on Facebook in 2007? I think I was just. I was was a year or two old uh, and using Facebook at that time. Of course, interesting. Yeah, I was not. I was very late to the game of Facebook, and I still don't use it very often. But I think that the key here for Facebook, the difference between then and now, is just the size of the network. Sure. And I think the bottom line for any any business like this, any marketplace style business, is the size. The value and the size of the network. The bigger the network, the more potential value there is, particularly when you're talking about just connecting buyers and sellers. I mean, this isn't necessarily like an Amazon threat as much as it is like an eBay threat. And I think that generally speaking, now this go around, Facebook has a much better opportunity to really. Uh, disrupt and take away a lot of business from eBay. I would be very concerned if I was an eBay shareholder, um, simply because I don't know what differentiates it at this point. And eBay has somewhere in the neighborhood of 164 million active buyers today. Facebook's got like 1.2 billion users, yep. and and they're killing it on mobile. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those users. Well, that's the whole point. The marketplace is going to be on the messenger app. So you've already got that on your phone. Do you have do you have I don't, an eBay app? Uh, no, I don't yeah, have. Exactly. I, I've actually, believe it or not, I've never even used eBay ever in my life. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not. I just have never used it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, if it's just, I don't have a reason to use it. I guess. Um, 
I think that so this is going to be something if Facebook is using this is going to be on the Messenger app. Mm-hmm. They are certainly looking and figuring out ways to to monetize Messenger. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the big question, right? Was right. migrating people from Facebook over to Messenger so that you're kind of no matter what you're doing during your day, you're doing it on a Facebook-owned property. It's mm-hmm. either Facebook or WhatsApp or Messenger or Instagram. And, and truth be told, I think they're they're garnering a lot of, of uh, attention between just those four. And so, I think given the user base that Facebook has, given I think the general trust that people have in using that platform, the familiarity with using that platform, you've got generations coming up now that have been using Facebook habitually on a daily basis. They understand how it works. I think this is a great opportunity for Facebook to figure out new ways to monetize uh, that Messenger platform. Perhaps there's something that, that works that could uh, bleed over into WhatsApp. Sure. And and, uh, and who knows? I think it's definitely a smart a smart bet. Yeah, I mean, that's really well said. Who knows? Who knows what Facebook can do with this? They can go in a lot of different directions. You know, They could uh, provide some sort of, you know, the transaction. They could take a little off the top for, for providing a platform between buyers and sellers. As you said, Advertising is going to play a huge part in this, I'm sure. Uh, so, a lot going on with Facebook. Let's go back to the eBay thing, though. So, if you're an eBay investor, and eBay investors, by the way, took note of this announcement, shares of eBay were down 4.5% on Monday uh, when the announcement was made. Are you heading for the hills? Are you sticking around? Or are you just, as you said, worried that eBay at this point doesn't seem to differentiate itself anymore? Well, if you're asking me if I'm an eBay investor, Mark, I was never in town to begin with. Sure. Um, I, I, to me, like eBay was never really all that compelling. And I think the most compelling part about it in PayPal, which is now its own business, right. is is left the station. Exactly. I, to me, like I just don't see eBay as a very compelling investment. I think there's there's something there. They've obviously done something um, in creating that platform, but I don't see anything terribly special about it. It strikes me as very replicable, and I think we're going to see that on Facebook's part. And I think that because Facebook has so many users, I mean that's that's been the big question. I mean, it took a, a good question sort of over the weekend in regard to thoughts on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, and it was like valuation on Twitter. Eh, I could see thirty billion or something being being reasonable. LinkedIn, yeah, I think LinkedIn's getting worse rather than better, and Facebook. Facebook, I think, can do whatever they want because they have such a big user base. Sure, and and that I I'm, I say that just sort of half jokingly. I think there really is like they have almost this free pass to be able to do whatever they want because they have such a big user base. The worst thing they can do is sit still and do nothing. I would be very worried if I was an eBay investor, and I think it's 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 not going to be long before we see whether this gains any traction or not. I sus- I suspect it probably will gain some. It, it won't happen overnight, but I, I could see this definitely being a threat to that business. Rumors swirling around the merger and acquisition world, uh, and in the center of the storm is Netflix. Ooh. Netflix out of nowhere. Uh, Twitter <laughs> was obviously the center of that storm uh, in these last couple of days, uh, especially following reports that Disney was considering a bid uh, for the social media platform. Now, new rumors are, are surfacing that Disney is thinking about buying Netflix hmm. instead. Uh, this would be a powerhouse of a company, and Could it be. it makes a lot of sense, at Does least it? on paper, at least to me. Really? Well, we're gonna get to you, Jason. Let me give my opinion first. Everyone hears so much from you during these shows. I like it. What's your opinion, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you backed that up with some substantial research sure. and uh, and uh, facts there, Mark. <laughs> now, I, I think uh, this is all the rumor mill, right? I mean this. Part of what we do, which makes it kind of fun, is you get to 
talk about these things and think about them. And I can see both sides of it. I think, uh, I mean, Disney is 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 a media company, mm-hmm. and they shine in what they do. They have a tremendous amount of, of IP there in all of the content that they own, the characters, the catalogs, between Marvel, Lucasfilm, and Pixar alone. I mean, that's probably going to be a lifetime of entertainment right there for you and me. Right. Did, is that the is that a catchphrase for Disney? Did you just I was actually just inviting you to the movie this weekend if you wanted to go catch a flick. But... Yeah, when's that Mona or the new the new Disney princess, the uh, the, the Maui princess? Something like that. Yeah, it's coming advertisements soon. for it and I'm I'm certain we're gonna be taking our kids to go see it. Awesome. Father of two daughters. The, yeah, I mean yeah. that's the, that's that's what you do. Um I, I think the one question I have in regard to Netflix as an inve- or as an acquisition, I, I don't so I feel like you're you're taking on a big slug of liability mm. if you buy that company. For for everything that Netflix does really well, and they do a lot of stuff very well, the reason why they do it well is because they keep on spending so much money every year on producing new content. And that's the right thing to do. That's how they have to differentiate themselves. They need to own their own content. By the same token, I feel like there are so many competitors out there now and there is so much content out there now that this content doesn't live the same long life that it perhaps used to. And so, an example I think could be seen in something like The Sopranos with HBO. Okay. Yeah, it came out. I don't know, fifteen years ago, something yeah. like twenty years ago, maybe even more. I don't know, but I mean, um, it was very, very cutting edge for its time. In in a period of time where TV was certainly not what it is today. Now, there's so many shows out there, you don't have enough time in the day to watch them. And if you do, you're probably not employed. <laughs> and, and that could be a possibility. But, sure. but either way, I think the problem is that if you buy Netflix, you're going to be committing to spending billions and billions of dollars on producing new content, basically in perpetuity. I mean, that's what Reed Hastings and Ted Serenos have said before, is they're going to be spending a lot of money really for the foreseeable future. Well, you know who already does that? Who's that? Disney. What? They spend yeah. so much money on creating this content. You're right. I mean, they've got yeah. the catalog, the backlog of characters. There's, that doesn't mean they're just you know sitting on their hindquarters. They're still creating new characters, new IP all the time. Disney has the chest, the war chest for something like this. Uh, so, uh, to my mind, it sounds like Disney solves that problem for Netflix. It could. I think the other way to look at that is that really Disney benefits in producing all of that content and distributing it a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. They can license it to a number of different folks, Netflix being one of them. So then it becomes a, a deal of exclusivity, mm-hmm. and Netflix wants to get exclusive rights to certain Disney content. All very understandable, and and so you have to kind of look at it from that perspective as well. Does Disney really want to rock the boat at this point? I mean, is it going to be just as easy for them to distribute their content uh, over the top? That's the one thing that Netflix really has done so. I mean, they've done a lot of things well, but they, it's it's at its core, it's an app. It's very easy to use. Everybody has it, and they just know it. Mm-hmm. Um, it you have to ask at least going forward, does it maintain the same kind of brand cachet, so to speak, does it resonate with consumers younger today going forward? Right. I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think you can look at it and make the argument both ways. Disney could come up with the resources to buy Netflix. It would cost a lot of money. Oh my God, yes. Um, <laughs> and and I just, I wonder, the one thing I could see them doing, which would be pretty cool, is is taking that 
Netflix interface and then weaving a live sports dynamic into it. Well, that was exactly what I was going to say. You know, Disney's powerhouse has been ESPN for so long. Now it looks like it's the Achilles heel of this company, unless they can figure out a way to keep the cord cutters out there, and there are a lot of them, and that number's growing every year, keep the cord cutters happy by giving them live sporting events. The only way to do that is streaming on some sort of maybe app. App? Hey, streaming app, Netflix, (laughs) call me crazy, but that sounds like a match made in heaven. I don't disagree. I mean, I think you're looking at more and more of these sporting leagues uh, taking sort of multi-pronged strategies to distribute that content. So, it's not just going to broadcast TV, it's not just going to cable, it's going to broadcast, it's going to cable, and it's going to digital. Mm -hmm. And and so, the, the, the example that's easiest to look at right now is the NFL and what they've done with Twitter. In cable and CBS and NBC, so they have CBS and NBC. They get the th- the Thursday night games. NFL Network on cable gets the Thursday night game, and then Twitter also also gets that Thursday night game. So you have maximized your audience, sure, basically. And so I think Disney certainly would look at that as an opportunity to say, well, hey, Netflix is already on so many devices out there. People know it. It's just it, people know it and love it. That would be probably really well received to say hey we're going to make Netflix even better mm-hmm. by adding like you know sports content to yeah, it people will lose their minds they very well might yeah and then you probably want to question your investment in buffalo wild wings because people <laughs> are going to be watching sports on their phones and their tablets and not going to buffalo wild wings and sitting down there eating wings and beer that's true you know I, who you know who really gets hurt are the the stadiums and the owners who are going to see those ticket sales decline cuz there's no way i'm going out into the cold and the rain <laughs> and the sleet and the hail and dealing with the the high price tags of everything from parking to food to souvenirs at a stadium when i could just stay at home Flip on the the tube, watch some Netflix, and hey, in the corner there, Twitter live streaming. I've got some NFL. Just pull on, pull that on up, and you know, order in. That's 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 heaven. It's very that's exactly what I want to do. Very conceivable. I mean, you're becoming an old curmudgeon like me. That's fine. I would that's much great. rather stay home and mm-hmm. watch it in the beauty of HD with the best camera angles and a phone in my hand to follow all my fantasy football stuff. Yes. Than sit there in the cold and rain and like buying ten dollar beers. Exactly. I, I like it. I. Personally, I really hope something something <laughs> happens. I, I I think it's just very entertaining. You said this at the beginning of the section. Uh, it's fun just to speculate. You know, this Absolutely. is just rumors at this point. You know, no one's no one's going out and buying shares at Disney or Netflix just based on this, or at least you shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, but it's still it's fun to talk about. It's fun to think about. I think it would be one heck of a deal. I think it makes us all better investors. I mean, we sit yeah. there. This is this is the stuff that we do like every day. Yeah, we're yeah. just doing it on air for. Or dozens of listeners right. right now, but I mean, this is this is the essence of stock talk. I mean, you you go beyond just numbers and talk about competitive positions and advantages and disadvantages and all that stuff. It, there's never an easy answer, and there's obviously going to be someone who disagrees on the other side because you have a buyer and seller for every every stock. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to kick around every day, and that's why we all love our jobs. Uh, let's move on to a nice feel-good story, actually, from Whole Foods and Starbucks. Uh, Whole Foods and Starbucks have opened new locations in the, one of the poorest neighborhoods in Chicago, Englewood, uh, where the uh, median household income is under $20,000. And when you hear that, it doesn't sound like a neighborhood where you want to buy asparagus water from Whole Foods for <laughs> 29 bucks. I mean, uh, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't seem to add up. And yet, Whole Foods uh, has received some subsidies, some uh, crowdsourcing to open this new location, uh, and as a result, can bring prices down a bit for some of the residents who may not be able to afford those goods otherwise. I like the sound of this, but 
is it is something like this, which is morally and ethically very commendable, enough of a reason to invest in a company? Whole Foods has always been good about you know trying to reach out to the community and trying to be more than just a grocery store. But is a story like this enough to spur on an investment in your mind? So the short answer is no. But I want to I want to explain that because I think I think this is great to see. I I love. The fact that this is very it reminds me very much of Panera and Ron Shake and kind of doing that thing where you could name your own price of, of what you're buying or whatever. They had they had ways to sort of help subsidize mm-hmm. uh, businesses that were in neighborhoods in in need, more or less. And right. so when you see something like this, this is this is clearly more about the people and the neighborhoods and creating opportunity. And less about the dollars and cents of the actual businesses at hand. Mm-hmm. And so, so Whole Foods and Starbucks are already two businesses we admire here um, a lot. And, and, and Whole Foods, I, I, I've been very clear. I think they have some challenges as far as investment as an investment goes. I think I think they are going to run into to some challenges no matter what they do. Um, but I do think that these these are the types of things we need to see more of corporate America doing. Right. And I think the more behavior you see like this. Ultimately, super longer term, this could be an opportunity for investors. I mean, this is this, these are the kinds of companies you want to be invested in. Right. Uh, it, it definitely takes a longer sort of time timeline, and, and and that can be tough for some. But but there's no question that these are the kinds of decisions. These these are the kinds of moves that ultimately expand their market, that bring jobs, bring more stability to neighborhoods in need of, of those jobs and that stability. And so you can't you can't. Look at it. It is any anything but. I think a positive. I think if you're going to look at it as a part of your investment thesis, you probably want to just look at it from the longest term perspective you mm-hmm. can, and then be okay with what you own. And you can't hate those headlines. You can't no, hate the no, good no, PR no, no. in the in the short term. Wonderful but I, brand builders. Exactly, and that's exactly it. You know, they're building the brand. Like you said, nothing's gonna. This isn't going to shoot up Whole Foods no. or Starbucks's stock price uh, anytime soon, but no, very, very well said. Uh, building the brand out to people who probably couldn't afford to purchase uh, at your stores beforehand, uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, in the long term. Uh, and speaking of helping out, by the way, uh, every year uh, here at the Motley Fool, uh, we have what is called Foolanthropy. Uh, it's our, 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 I suppose, charity or charitable process. It's our spin on philanthropy, Mark. Oh, it makes a lot of sense now. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> you I hadn't connected those dots yet, but <laughs> as the holiday season approaches, we always try to get our philanthropy efforts uh, started. Uh, we've got a new effort this year, uh, and Jason, you've got the scoop on it. Tell me about Fool School. Fool School. Yeah, this is our, as as you said, our, our effort at philanthropy this year. And I want to make sure to first and foremost thank Alice Lomax and Sam Davidson, and also our own David Gardner, for really being the fuel behind this fire. Right. I mean, this is something that I mean, Alex, uh, Alice is is very. Uh, she. This is just. This is the kind of stuff that she does, and she's so. So reliable on so many fronts, but she just has a big heart. And, and Sam, who has kids, David, who has kids, I have kids. We all kind of know this need for financial literacy in our country. And I mean, the numbers are very clear that the number of states that require high school students to take a personal finance course before graduating is something like twenty. Mm-hmm. It, it's not. It's not growing. Thankfully, Virginia, where we are, is one of those states. But the bottom line is, it's easy for us. We talk about this stuff every day. It's easy for us to kind of take it for granted. But there was somebody in our lives, whether it was a parent, 
or a teacher, a friend, someone who taught us about money, mm-hmm. the value of investing and saving and budgets and how it all works. And we live in a society where if you don't know about money, then you are going to be really put behind the eight ball. And I can't help but think we have a lot of students who are behind the eight ball already. They're going to college and they're being given this green light to borrow just absurd amounts of money um, with the assumption that they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think we clearly can see that they don't know what they're doing because the financial literacy rate in this country is so low. Numbers don't lie. So we want to leverage what we have here, the the facility, all of the talent, the people, and just spread the word. We want to bring schools in for field trips. We want to go to places where we can help. We want to do everything we can for the cause of financial literacy. And this is beyond just this year. I think this is something that a lot of us would love to be able to, to carry on forever. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a great uh, way for us to sort of spread what we espouse every day, so to speak. And so, um, we are just getting started. There's going to be more to come, and um, I would encourage anybody and everybody out there who wants more information. We are on the social media. Sure. Mark. Um, right now, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, and the handles are all three the same. It's at TMF Fool School. That's F O O L S C H O O L. At TMF Fool School on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. You can follow us now. There's going to be more content coming down the pike here soon. And again, we are really excited to get this rolling. We had a meeting, a couple of meetings um, last week that really just was super awesome to see how much enthusiasm we have behind this. That's great. Uh, awesome. Awesome to hear. Uh, awesome to hear that I can follow you guys on the interwebs. And hey, we might even follow you back, Mark. That's great. Being uh, a fool has its privileges. <laughs> uh, speaking of the interwebs, uh, let's wrap up. You asked some folks on Twitter if they had any questions they'd like to ask uh, for us to answer here on the podcast. By the way, what's your handle on the interwebs? That would be at TMFJMO. Simple as that, ladies It is and that simple. Uh, so let's go ahead and answer some of those questions. You sure. received a couple. Uh, two of them have a lot to do with each other, so I'm going to go ahead and add them in to each other. So from at P Fool Heart, uh, aren't you a little thrilled by the idea of Google buying Twitter? Great product, phenomenal company, makes sense to me. That's to me, the number two. Me uh, and then we've also got at CMG Chicago with yeah. the the French spelling at the end. I like that E A U X. He asks, "What is your best guess on the acquisition price for Twitter and who acquires them?" So, uh, as we said earlier in the show, merger acquisition rumors swirling around several companies. Twitter is at the center of that storm right now. Uh, Google certainly seems to be on the docket uh, for potential acquirers. Who do you think is the most likely? Uh, acquirer, uh, and what's that price tag going to look like? Yeah, I think that, yeah, this is one that's been kicked around a lot lately. It's made made a lot of headlines, and nobody really knows anything at the end of the day. So we'll know what we know when we know it. And as meta as that may sound, Mark, but, <laughs> that, was, that was wise or dumb. I couldn't um, tell. <laughs> I, so yes, Ken, I am a little excited because to me, I feel like Twitter has so much potential that they haven't been able to meet. I feel like they lost a lot, a lot of valuable time. Uh, early on as as a public company um, but I do I think it's a phenomenal tool with a phenomenal reach it's a big network that does a lot of neat things and so I think that if they became a part of the Google family uh, there would be a lot of resources and smart minds there that could do a lot of neat things with that product and so I think that Google is probably probably holding the pole position as far as the most likely acquirer mm-hmm. I could see Disney doing that um, simply because of the the live sports dynamic, and Disney maybe viewing Twitter as 
again, sort of that app, the nature of that app where people could just open it and watch sports. Yeah. I think that Disney is looking for new ways to get that sports out there, and, and Twitter could be one. Don't Twitter and Disney also use kind of the same? I, I, they are I, using the same technology, same system, yeah, yeah exactly. The, the Bantech technology. Right. So Disney just spent about a billion dollars investing in Bantech uh, for the for the MLB mm-hmm. uh, distribution, and Twitter is using Bantech for the NFL Thursday night games that they're broadcasting. And there are some interesting ties with Disney and Twitter. Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, is on Disney's board, right. and he uh, he talks to Bob Iger quite a bit. Iger has is Set off, and he's a sounding board for Jack Dorsey for ideas. And I know that everything we've read, Bob Iger is is very impressed with what Twitter's been able to do. Sure, um, it, it would be easier for Google to buy it. Probably makes more sense, but who knows? And I think I, I talked with some reporters about this before. I think I think just looking at some basic historical multiples and and numbers, I could see Twitter selling for at least twenty billion dollars. I think twenty billion dollar company. Is reasonable, but I think it's also you have a lot of people that'll say no, that's way too much. You have people say no, that's not enough. Mm. It bears remembering that anybody that acquires Twitter is going to do so based on what they think they can do with it in the future, not based on the trans its transgressions of the past. Sure. And so, as mismanaged as you may think the company is or was, then that implies you may see potential there in the future. Mm-hmm. And if you have good management behind it, well, it could be worth a lot more than $20 billion. Um, so, we'll have to wait and see. You know, I'm definitely watching. Uh, and definitely an interesting topic. Another interesting question from at bstaff12. He asks, thoughts on dollar sign CUDA, C-U-D-A. Uh, long term, of course, CUDA is the ticker symbol for Barracuda Networks. They've done pretty well recently. Cue the heart music. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on Barracuda Networks long term? So, I, I have not researched this company fully. So, mm-hmm. what I will do is I'll tell you a couple things that when I look at this company initially, in in being that they de- design and deliver security and data protection solutions, what I would want to do is identify what separates them from the rest of these security firms. Right. Because this market, generally speaking, you see a lot of change all of the time. There's there's no real sustainable competitive advantage because these types of security threats are always morphing. So, I'd want to know what their competitive advantage is. I want to know why it seems that their revenue is slowing down, the growth is slowing down. Um, they have a a very low amount of shares actually trading on the market. Um, and so, you have to at least take that into consideration. That can make for a more volatile stock price. It's interesting to see that a couple of the co-founders own, I think, about 26% of the company still. That could be good. That could be bad. Um, I, I don't take that as an automatic positive all the time. But, but yeah, first thing foremost, identify that competitive advantage and answer the question as to why it looks like revenues are slowing down. Because if they're slowing down, a company that is trying to demonstrate long-term viable profitability that could be a big problem. We're running a little long, but I have to ask this last question. It's sure. the final at Twitter question. I'm also going to ask it of our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, Uber Nats fan. But we'll start with you, JMO. Uh, at I am the gun asks Chicago Cubs buy, sell, or hold. Hey, Mark, I'm going to do this in my Harry Carey voice. Oh, I think it's the Cubs. You got to buy, always buy. Dan Boyd, your take on the Harry Carey voice and on the Chicago Cubs? A uh, great impression. Uh, I'm Thank gonna, you. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on Cubs because the curse of the Billy Goat is still in play. <laughs> wow, invoking the curse. Sounds like we got to take a break and go wash this down with a cold Budweiser. Oh, good lord, Jason Moser, Harry Carey, thanks for being here. Thank you.
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.